Hello, everyone. This is Tom. And just a quick note about today's episode. Some of you may have noticed that the last few episodes, my audio quality has not been the greatest. Unfortunately, we did not realize how far gone my mic was until it was too late. This, thankfully, this is the last episode where we deal with this problem, and we've done our best to edit out all the pops and cracks and make it sound like I'm not in a bathroom. But please listen to the entirety of this episode, because Shanty Hunters is an amazing game. I love this interview. Uh, Tristan has made something that is incredibly unique, and it's right in my wheelhouse, and I love it so much, and I think you will too. So, other than that, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. Show and Tell is the show where we like to bring on cool guests to talk about something cool that they are working on. And today's cool guest is Tristan Zimmerman. And this, Hi! Hey, I know, right? <laughs> Such a cool person. The cool thing we're going to be talking about. All right, folks, I was telling Tristan ahead of time. All right, you all know I say I love a lot of things. All right, I do love a lot of things. I really love this thing. All right. And I'm going to try to be as objective as possible and ask those hard hitting questions that you know, that I know you love. So, but the cool thing we're going to be talking about is shanty hunters. All right. Yes. It's got sea shanties and we're hunting stuff. I'm, I'm in. All right. So Tristan, all right. they heard your voice, but welcome. Well, thanks, Tom. I am genuinely delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, thank you all for reaching out and showing me this cool game that you're working on. So uh, this game, all right, I'm going to let you talk about it. I want to say something. All right. So, all right. There's so much history in this game. And I am a big proponent of games that are enjoyable to read. I think if when you pick up something to read, I think you should enjoy reading it. And I enjoyed reading this. So I was like, all right, this is going to be a good one. Okay. So Tristan, before we dive in, oh, dive in. Oh, it's good. Nautical theme puns. All right. Before we get, get too deep into it. All right. I want you to tell us, tell us a little bit. Who is, who's Tristan? Uh, so hi, everybody. I'm Tristan Zimmerman. He, him pronouns. I am uh, probably best known at this point for being the author uh, of the twice any nominated Molten Sulphur blog, uh, where I, every Tuesday for four years now, I put out uh, something cool and interesting from real history or folklore, something that is, is fun and worth learning about in its own right. And then I show you how to file the serial numbers off of it and drop it right into the fictional campaign you are already running, right? Turn it into game-ready content for tonight's, uh, tonight's session. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that's, 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 from an RPG perspective, that's what Tristan Zimmerman is, is best known for. That's, and it's a good thing to be known for, because I feel like when I first got into RPGs, there was a ton of blogs, but they were kind of getting near the tail end where a lot of them were dropping off, and yours is so consistent. So, I'm, I'm, I'm going through that, I'm like, there's a lot of posts here, so lots of stuff about history, super cool, but, alright, now we're going to, let's talk about your history. All right. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about how did you get into role-playing games? We're going to talk about how you start writing about them, but how did little Tristan start 
start start playing the games, throwing the dice, writing down the notes. Uh, I'm afraid that that my story is is pretty standard, right? Uh, I was in Boy Scouts. One of the other guys in my troops had a copy of the the third edition uh, player's handbook. He loaned it to me. I said, this is the coolest thing in the world. I've never heard of anything this awesome before. Um, get together with with some of my, my Boy Scout buddies, um, and they say, well, Tristan, you're the one who's read the player's handbook cover to cover a thousand times. You know the rules. You should run this. And I have been running and playing RPGs ever since. That's a that's a very valid story. It's, it's, it's so many. I feel like so many people relate to that. So, all right. That's that that's very simple. But now let's talk about the complex stuff. All right. I want to know what's the elevator pitch then for Shanty Hunters? So Shanty Hunters is a tabletop role-playing game about collecting magical sea shanties in the year 1880. You play as people who are obsessed with documenting these wonderful maritime work songs. Um and now is the time to document them because the age of commercial sail is fading. Uh, sail is being replaced by new steam technologies. Uh, and while sail is still commercially viable, the writing is unambiguously on the wall. So if you want to get these songs on paper before they vanish, it's now or never. Now, I say obsessed, and that is relevant because... A reasonable person would not still be documenting these shanties because every time you write down the lyrics for a shanty you have not documented before, the lyrics in the song come to life. Uh, the, the, the events and the imagery in the song begin to occur aboard the ship that you're sailing on. And this is a serious problem, because if the shanty is all about, like, hey, there's fire in the rigging, there's fire down below, like, hey, guess what's going to happen, and you caused this by writing this down, you should know better. Um, and so it is a, uh, it's it's in many ways a mystery game, it's a puzzle game, uh, but it's one where you kind of get all the clues up front, because they're right there in the lyrics. Uh, it's a game about singing songs around the table with your friends, uh, because if you're gonna be playing an RPG about sea shanties anyway, then you're gonna all have the lyric sheets in front of you as handouts anyway. Like, yeah, of course you're gonna sing these songs together. Uh, I should mention, uh, for folks who aren't familiar with shanties, uh, sea shanties are uh, maritime work songs. Uh, they are songs that sailors uh, would sing uh, to keep them heaving and hauling in time with one another. Uh, they are rough songs. Uh, they this is not Ave Maria, um, but they are they are rich and they are wonderful and they are beautiful and I love them very much uh, and I think that you will too. And I just got back from Gen Con Indy uh, where I was volunteering to to work a booth, and uh, I ran a bunch of games of shanty hunters there. And it was an absolute blast. Everybody, uh, everybody got super into it. Everybody was singing loud. You know, everybody was was belting out these songs, and uh, it was just, especially after you know all of the pandemic lockdown stuff that we've all been through as gamers, to be able to get together with people. Uh, in safety and and just sing these songs and be joyful together um, was was truly wonderful. 
you kind of you kind of alluded to a little bit, but what what did you think like that? The uh, was this like the first time you got to run it at a convention with the pandemic and everything? So this was the first time I got to run it in person um, with strangers. Uh, I think that's that's the good way to put it. I had run it online with strangers as part of the playtesting process, um, but of course, it is this. The, the experience of singing the song together is so so core to what makes it uh, a, a fun experience. You totally can play it online, right? I want to be clear. You can have a great time. You know, singing is, is not in any way integral to the way the game is run. It's just a lot of fun. And if you've got it in front of you, why wouldn't you do it? Um, but to be able to get together with a bunch of strangers for the first time and just sing the song was magical. I would probably be okay singing a song, but I know some people may not be. How do you, you may not force people, but how do you encourage people then to, to get into singing a sea shanty? So uh, I can answer that question through personal experience uh, by way of my mother. Um, when my mom uh, was, was a, a, a girl, somebody told her uh, that her, her singing voice was atrocious and that when she sang at mass she should, you know, make sure to sing quietly so the people around her don't have to hear, which is a terrible thing to say to a child, right? Like, why would you say that? But, um, so she's been really self-conscious about, about her voice for, for, for her whole life. And, um, when we, we got together, um, and she said, you know, Tristan, uh, you know, I want to play this Shanty Hunters game. And this, this is a woman and my father as well, who their only experience with role-playing games is, one time teenage Tristan brought home a boxed starter set of Dungeons and Dragons and said, please, can we play this? And they humored me, which really was a wonderful and loving act on their part. Um, and they got super into it. And the thing that I told them when it came time for like, hey, let's let's bust out this, this song was, remember, these are not technically beautiful songs, right? There's no four-part harmony. There's no interesting scales. Nothing about this is beautiful in the sense of, like, listening to a recording by Adele. These are rough songs written for and by rough men in a, in a hard life, in a hard profession, um, sung with with you know broken voices aching with with stress and strain um and who cares what you sound like these are not songs that are sung because you want to sound great these are songs that are are beautiful in other ways they're beautiful because they are they're fundamentally human songs that speak to 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 that speak to to longing and to hard work and to our shared humanity so I want to, I'm going to jump, I'm jumping around a little bit though. Do it. So because we're talking about the sea shanties then, in this book, you include a lot of sea shanties. Mm -hmm. uh, you uh, you would with a game called Shanty Hunters. Uh, lots of cool notes and reference there included. But I have to ask you then, which one is your, can you pick a favorite sea shanty? Uh, so a single favorite sea shanty is difficult. Um, okay. I did, I, I knew that you would ask something like yep. this. So I did, I did prepare three. 
that I I would be happy to discuss uh, briefly. Um, Let's do it. I, I will mention, by the way, that the book, yes, it includes 17 sea shanties because the shanties are the adventures, right? And I wanted to provide a bunch of songs that made great adventures. These are not boring songs that will produce, you know, dull session. Like, they're full of wild imagery and wild events and cool stuff. But, um, so I will mention... Um, Roll the old chariot along, which is actually the 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 game that the song that was at the heart of the game that I just ran at Gen Con. Um, Roll the old chariot along is a stamp and go shanty, uh, which means that it is of a very particular um, rhythm that is used when hauling on ropes that are under little strain and need to be moved very quickly because you have a narrow window uh, and and. If it's relevant, uh, it, particularly during tacking and jibing, you have a narrow window when these lines are on relatively little strain and you need to move them real fast. Um, and so it, it has a rhythm that accommodates precisely this. Um, but but Roll the Old Chariot um, is a song about... The lyrics are at least partially co-opted from an old Salvation Army hymn. Uh, the Salvation Army, of course, uh, at the time... Uh, was a, uh, a teetotaling organization. It was a prohibitionist organization trying to get people uh, to give up the sin of drink. And you can imagine how sailors felt about yes. that. Um, so the, the, it has the imagery of, of this chariot rolling along, and the chariot is, is found in, in a decent number of Protestant hymns of the era as a, a symbol of God's righteousness, as it rolls over sin. Um, and of course, the sailors co-opt it, and the, the chariot becomes a vehicle to drag them to sin, uh, because sailors. Um, but I can, I can sing a few bars. Yes, um, please. Uh, oh, a night with a girl wouldn't do us any harm. No, a night with a girl wouldn't do us any harm. A night with a girl wouldn't do us any harm. And we'll all hang on behind. And we'll row the old chariot along. We'll row the old chariot along. We'll row the old. Chariot along, and we'll all hang on behind. That's that's roll the old chariot. Uh, of course, it has lots of other verses. Um, now is, I suppose, as good a time as any to note uh, that a lot of verses have been lost to us because they are uh, they were at the time uh, too salacious, too lewd for print, um, and uh, so they just they weren't able to be published as part of the documentary process and they're just they're just lost which is in my opinion a great tragedy it it, it kind of makes sense also i want to say this i could listen to, you need to record a track to go along with this stretch goal for the kickstarter tristan singing these like this is good stuff so good. This, this, this very kind of you. I, 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 I can't imagine that anyone would actually want that. But again, very kind. Nope. I, yeah. So, all right. So the I want to ask you then because we're going to talk about sea shanties more. But what inspired you to make a nautical themed game? We know you like. We know you love history. But why sea shanties? So this is this this uh, book really is a love letter. 
uh, to the maritime profession. Uh, I come from a from a sailing family. Uh, I went to sea before uh, my first birthday. Um, you know, we sailed down the eastern seaboard. We sailed to Cuba. We sailed to the Dry Tortugas. Um, after I graduated college, I joined the Navy. Um, and with the Navy, I circumnavigated the globe. Uh, I crossed the line off Somalia. Um, you know, I... There's a lot of people with a lot more more sea time than I have, but I certainly have my sea legs, and um, and and this 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 book really is a, a love letter to that. You can tell there's just a lot of there's a lot of detail, a lot of story. So I wanted to ask you then, is research researching all of the all these different uh, this turn of the century, the end of the age of sail? Was there like a particular story while you were doing your research that really just stood out to you or something really cool because i love hearing these kind of stories so um i'll 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 give you two uh one is less a story and more a source uh it's a it has become for whatever reason a classic of american literature Uh, it's a book called two years before the mast uh written by a man named richard henry dana jr uh he was a student at some ivy league college uh, who had to drop out of college because he needed glasses, which is just a really weird concept. Um, and he decided that he was going to take some time and he was going to go to sea and he was going to work as, as a common deck seaman. Um, and he worked as a common deck seaman for two years um, and then wrote a book about his experiences. And it was an instant bestseller. It remains uh, remains in print um, and it's full of those you know, lived experiences, um, those those real rich sense memory uh, kind of things, particularly given that it is being written by someone with a background not necessarily suited to hard labor and deprivation. Um, a- another story, though, that, that really stuck with me uh, was The Wreck of the Garth Pool. Um, the Garth Pool was the last square-rigged ship in the British Merchant Registry. And uh, she went down, I want to say, um, shortly after World War I, thereabouts. Um, and and when the Garthpool was wrecked, it, it was the end of an era. Um, and the, the shantyman aboard the Garthpool, because ships traditionally had a shantyman. It wasn't a paid position. It wasn't an official position. It was just the guy on board who knew all the shanties yes. and would lead people in, in songs as they worked. The shantyman aboard the Garthpool was a man named Stan Hugel. And um, he went on to become one of the great recorders of shanties, right? And, and his scholarly work um, wound up being enormously influential uh, in the modern shanty tradition. Uh, if you listen to collections of, you know, this folk group doing their sea shanty album or whatever, for the most part, those are songs pulled from Hugel's work, pulled from Hugel's collections. And um, to me, there's just, there's something very, very sad um, and, and, and bittersweet about this ship being wrecked um, and and us being able to draw a line, right? Like the age of the shanty ends here. It's done. This is when it ends. And we know this is the last shanty that was sung aboard Garthpool because Stan Hugel tells us, hey, by the way, this is the, 
the the and, and and so therefore like in a certain sense it's the last shanty and that idea of 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 loss but also of preservation um kind of lies in a very real sense at the at the heart of the project it's it's interesting that you talk about this because we associate so often like uh sailing and maritime stuff with this high adventure but one thing that i've started to recently like realize there is a sense of like melancholy that is just over all of it because especially looking at things in today's with today's knowledge and seeing where where things went with the age of sale just this this time of lots of people moving and interesting things happening and what almost like it's a whenever something comes to an end it's just there's just something about it I mean, that definitely lines up with my experiences. I doubt I have ever been uh, in a more adventurous situation or simultaneously ever sadder than when I was trapped inside a tin can sitting in the Arabian Gulf, right? Like we were we were doing high, the high adventure stuff, the sort of things that, you know, appears in newspapers. Um, and it was awesome. And... Yet we were also trapped inside a tiny little steel can, um, seeing only each other for months at a time without ever feeling solid ground beneath our feet, all sleep deprived out to hell. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just it, it seems to be foundational to the maritime experience. There's, if there's one thing I love in my RPGs, and I'm not kidding, is I want to swing from high adventure to absolute sadness and tragedy within like the same session so many oh times. Oh my goodness. So I want to ask you then, so can you describe what is the experience of playing Shanty Hunter? So you got you have four people, they sit down with the uh with the with the game master, and what's that look like for them? So um I I have a, a bunch of advice in the book about how to run a good shanty hunter's adventure. And a lot of it does come down to adventure design and, and how you structure it. Um, the first thing you need to hit is your, um, your, your opening scene, your, um, or, or scenes plural, which introduce the concepts and the NPCs that will be important in this adventure. Because we as game masters cannot assume that our players have any of the knowledge they need. We can't assume that we ourselves know anything, right? A ship is a world unto itself, and it's incredibly technical. And you need in these, these opening scenes to introduce these ideas that will be relevant later in the adventure. If the shanty is going to do something to the rudder chain, you got to teach people what a rudder chain is. And the last thing you want is to do is like, ah, roll seamanship. Okay, you rolled well. Let me give you a lecture about rudder chain. That's awful. I don't want to play that RPG. So instead, what you need to do is you need to throw a scene in there that involves a rudder chain in some way and force the PCs to interact with it. Because in interacting with it, they will learn and the players will grok what it is in a, in a, in a very real sense. And then later in the adventure, when something goes wrong with what rudder chain, they can be like, I know what a rudder chain is hey, uh, what if we do this? And someone else would be like, ah, but what if we do that? And, you know, now they're off to the races. Usually once you get these establishing incidents uh, out of the way, um, and I also recommend, hey, use these to introduce your NPCs, all that good stuff. Um, 
then it's time to sing the song. And usually that means the PCs now overhear the sailors at work singing a song that has not been documented before. And everybody's like, ah, you know, and then the GM busts out the handouts. And if you're a singing table, then everybody sings the song together. And then that's when the trouble starts, right? As soon as everybody documents the song, then the events and the imagery start to recapitulate. And if you have a a forward-leaning, hard-charging group of players, they may look at the lyrics and start to anticipate what they think is going to happen and start taking steps to mitigate it before it even occurs. That is awesome. If they're doing that, reward that by like, eh, they're interpreting this line as going in this direction. You interpret it as kind of going in that direction. No, man, like, reward them for being forward-leaning, like, Go with their interpretation. Support them. Um, other player groups t- uh, will be will kind of hand hang back, wait and see, and then things will start going wrong, and then they'll start digging into the lyrics and looking for solutions to the problems that they're encountering. And it um, for for those of you uh, at home who are familiar with the Gumshoe rules engine, uh, Shanty Hunters uses a version of Gumshoe uh, specifically because it is a rules set. Um, built from the ground up on the assumption that the players will have access to uh, to all the clues that they need to solve the problem. And in this case, the clues are the lyrics, right? They're right there in front of you on a sheet of paper. And the bulk of the session then is, um, depending on your group, the bulk of the session may be digging into the clues, having terrible things happen, trying to forestall them, trying to deal with them once they happen. Uh, other groups, of course, more roleplay heavy groups, the bulk of it may be interacting with the other NPCs on the ship. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, that's 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 a game of Shanty Hunters. That's So then, let's talk about jumping ahead of then. So that is, that's totally something that, and you, you address this in the book, that can be done in a one-shot, or this can be done in a longer-form campaign. So how does a campaign, what does a campaign of Shanty Hunters look like then? So uh, for campaign play, I, I think Shanty Hunters is wonderful for one shots, uh, but I think it shines best with short campaigns of about seven sessions. That's really about as much as you need to, to suck the marrow out of this game and say, by golly, I've experienced the Shanty Hunters. Now let's go, you know, play another cool campaign with some other some other game. And with a with a, a short campaign, um, strong recommendation uh, in the book uh, to collaboratively create a villain. Right? You'll notice that we've we've kind of left very vague up to this point. Why are the shanties recapitulating? Why are they coming to life? And in a one shot, you probably do want to leave that vague. That's not what it's about. But in a short campaign, come up with a wicked spirit, uh, and it's this wicked spirit that is causing the shanties to recapitulate. And in so doing, in, in creating this, this villain, you are also collaboratively deciding what your campaign will look like. It's a session zero mechanism um, because your villain will determine kind of the themes that are going to come up. I present six sample villains in the book. You can absolutely just grab one of the six sample villains. Everybody points it and says, yes, we want to play a Shanty Hunters campaign where the villain is Tiamat, the bitter water, uh, the, the the goddess of chaos from Babylon, Babylon, Babylonian, who is also the mother of monsters. And because we're doing a Tiamat campaign, every Shanty will 
will will recapitulate in the form of a new and weird and different sea monster attacking the ship. And the lyrics are a description of the monster and how it attacks you and how it can be overcome. And that then presents kind of a monster hunter style campaign. On the other hand, you may point at one of these uh, and say, okay, um, we really like the idea of the fiddler, but the fiddler is kind of this, this dark wicked villain who uh who who is trying to draw sailors into uh into her demesna of fiddler's green and fiddler's green is 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 the place that sailors souls go if they don't go to hell right so you know it's 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 supposed to be a good place but oh it's a bad place and all the references to how great fiddler's green are are circumlocutory their ways of talking around it so you don't arouse the wrath of the fiddler and you know oh it's very dark and very horror and it's all very cryptic or you may look at some of them and say oh we want some themes from this we want some themes from that and what's important is you're getting buy-in from all your players and you're figuring out what they want out of the campaign and if you collaboratively create a villain or you pick one of the villains you're figuring out what the campaign is going to look like because you have selected those themes and baked them right into the villain. Love that. I love campaigns where you can do that with your players. It like to, for me personally, just, it brings so much satisfaction. I like being the game master, but when my players are giving me that input, it's just, and then I can just take that and dump it right onto the table. And then they give me that input again. It's a great loop. I love that. Absolutely. So I, you talk a little bit about the fiddler and then Tiamat and everything, but what this is, I feel like, a very big question, and there's tons of books and scholarly papers written about this, but can you kind of briefly summarize what makes uh, what makes the, the ocean and sailing, why is there such an element of superstition involved there? Um, of course, you're if you if you ask the this question of, of you know twenty different people, I'm sure you'll get twenty different answers. Yes. Um, but for me, it is powerlessness. Um, when you are on the deck of a ship, particularly out of sight of land, you are in the center of a circle. You look out, and it's nothing but horizon. And if the sky is gray then the sea is also gray because it reflects the light from, from above. And there may not even be a visible horizon, right? The gray of the sea just melts into the gray of the sky. And you're, you're standing there and you're tiny. You're minuscule. The only reason you are allowed to float upon the sea is because the sea is so vast that she does not even notice your presence. And... And she can wipe you out without even realizing it, without even noticing. And it's to me, it's this fundamental sense of powerlessness that drives uh, that drives superstition, right? It's an attempt to gain a measure of power over the sea, right? Don't whistle because you might whistle up a storm. Awesome. If you know that, now, by not whistling, you are exercising some measure of control. You are doing your small part to keep storms away, right? It's not guaranteed. You'll still get storms for other reasons, but there'll be no whistling storms, at least. Um, and kind of in superstition writ more broadly, um, it has been argued that this is why um, baseball is so full of superstition when 
uh, games like football have much less in the way of like like batting rituals, right? Every batter has his own yeah. like pre pre ritual, um, and that's because um, hits are are rarer. Success, immediate success, is rarer in baseball than in many other sports. So, and there becomes a psychological need to gain control over this this unpredictable thing. Um, and to me, that's what it, that's what it's all about. It's all about powerlessness. So, talking about the there's so much history here, and you kind of talk about this. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is so the historical record during this period was not kind towards minorities. So and you call this out in your book, but so can you talk about uh, the impact minority communities had on sea shanties and then how can we honor that and be sensitive to it while we're playing the game? So it's it's critical. It's vital to recognize that the the world of of commercial sale in the late 19th century was almost jaw droppingly global. Right, so sure, fine. Of course, you have uh, you have you have sailors who are who are white men from Europe or from from North America, um, but they are working alongside um, freedmen from the American South. Uh, set in eight game set in eighteen eighty. It's only fifteen years uh, after the uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, they're working alongside um, Afro Caribbean sailors. Uh, they are working alongside Latin American sailors, the crew people of what is today Liberia. That's crew spelled K-R-U. Uh, at this point, have been uh, have been working as sailors aboard European vessels literally for centuries um, as as West Africans. Um, Malay sailors uh, from from Southeast Asia are enormously important and present. Um, Indian sailors, similarly, enormously present, uh, particularly um, from Bengal and Gujarat. Um, you have uh, Chinese sailors. Theoretically, during this period, uh, Chinese folks are forbidden from leaving China uh, by, by imperial edict. Um, but yet, nonetheless, a lot of them do it, and a lot of them find work uh, aboard ships as sailors. Um, and it's these these crews are cultural melting pots and i'm not pretending that like oh and everybody got along and everything worked great and it was all egalitarian it definitely was not god knows there are enough shanties uh about i mean there are shanties about wage differences based on race like that is a thing that there are shanties about um but it also it produced an environment where um different musical traditions can meld. And so absolutely the two biggest contributors to the sea shanty tradition are uh, the folk songs of the British islands uh, and the uh, the spirituals, which are themselves frequently work songs, um, of enslaved black laborers in the American South. But yet you also have folding into that, you have uh, melodies from South America, from Southeast Asia, themes tunes, even lyrics being folded into this, this musical tradition that's, that's fed by all of these different kinds of people from everywhere. Um, I haven't even mentioned uh, South Sea Islander uh, sailors who are 110% absolutely working side by side in these crews. Um, 
And so it, there's a little bit of everything in the sea shanty tradition, really and genuinely. So then I have to ask you then, the, obviously we have a, it's a, we are, we're English speaking. You need to, you're releasing an English book. Are there then shanties then that are, I assume there's shanties in other languages. Absolutely. So how much, how much, and I'm going to put you on the spot with this. How much influence have, has any of those shanties had on your, yourself or your love of shanties then? Um, a relatively limited amount. Um, I only speak three languages, um, and only one of them, English, uh, well enough to do any scholarly research in. Um, so while I am very much aware of the existence of a, a rich shanty tradition in other languages, um, Germany and, and Norway immediately spring to mind. Um, they, the, 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 the influence in the book is present only, uh, through their influence, um, on English language shanties, which again is not inconsiderable. Oh, uh, and just to circle around because I didn't answer the, the second half of your question, which is how, how can we use this yes. multiculturalism and how can we honor it and, and do it respectfully? Um, the answer is, uh, for me, a huge portion of it is lean into it right? Embrace it. Don't just have, you know, oh, here's another, you know, white Irishman NPC. Like, no man, have your crews, have your NPCs be as diverse as they really actually, honestly, historically were in the year 1880. Uh, encourage your, uh, your players also to, to try to, to get them themselves out of, out of, uh, that headspace, not just for, for playing non-European, um, non-white American uh, player characters, but also uh, female characters, because there's absolutely documentation uh, of, of women working as sales in admittedly relatively small numbers, um, both uh, posing as men in order to get work uh, and also uh, serving openly as women. Um, and honor it, treat it respectfully, and, and above all else, treat people as people, right? Don't treat people as caricatures, treat them as people. Uh, with with differences um, and similarities, none of which diminishes uh, uh, who they are. Yeah, and it all leads to just better and more unique, non-homogenous games. So, mm -hmm. so I, all for that. So then, Shanty Hunters is going to be. This is all right. So this is the part of the podcast where I always date things, and that's okay. All right, because we're talking about an RPG that's going to be coming to Kickstarter. All right. So let's talk about what's the what's the Kickstarter? What's the Kickstarter going to look like? So uh, the Kickstarter will begin on November 2nd, uh, which is the date that this episode drops. Yes, uh, it is. So uh, as you listen, uh, as, as you've got this on your speakers, uh, rush right out, type Shanty Hunters into your Kickstarter search, or I presume there will be a, a link in the show notes. Yes, there will. Um, and... Um, it will run through uh, December 2nd. Um, through the Kickstarter, you can obtain um, the, 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 the two pledge levels that I am, uh, that, that, that are definitely for realsies uh, going to happen. Uh, of course, PDF only um, and uh, physical copy. Uh, I want to be clear, and I'm holding this up to the Zoom camera, which you can't see at home, um, but this is uh, a printer's proof. I'm going to knock it next to the microphone. The book is done, 
right? The book is ready. This isn't some fly-by-night thing. This is my fourth Kickstarter. I've been running Kickstarters for almost a decade now. Every single one has succeeded. Every single one has delivered the core rewards on time. Um, I I run nice, boring Kickstarters. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you can get a copy of the book. Uh, I've got some other... Um, I've got two other... Uh, pledge levels that I am just hammering out the little final niggling yeah. details on right now. Uh, one is a deluxe copy, a deluxe um, hardback copy. Uh, of course, both the, the deluxe and the regular are hardback, uh, but the deluxe... The deluxe is is the uh, is the copy of the book that I intended. It's the copy of the book that I wish everybody could have. Um through the layout, through the illustration, the book is 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 lavishly illustrated throughout with uh, period illustrations, right? Illustrations taken from uh, from books of the period, um, and both in the use of illustrations and in the layout and the font choices and everything, I worked really hard to try to make this book look like a uh, an era appropriate Victorian adventure novel with. Some changes because we've learned more about how to use layout to make things more readable uh, in the the 141 years since then. Imagine that. Uh, so you know, folding in things that we've learned. So it's not one for one identical. But I really wanted to make this book look like something that you could stumble onto in a used bookstore. Um, business realities mean the basic book is not that. The basic book is lovely. I'm very proud of it. I think you'll be very happy with it. But you would never look at this and be like, did I stumble upon this in a dusty corner of a used bookstore? The deluxe version is that. Yes. That's awesome. I So I'm the, on the podcast, I'm known as the layout guy. So I love layout. And I because I do a lot of technical writing in my day job and I like when information flows well and when it looks nice. This is good. All right, folks, this is good. All right. I I, I appreciate this because there's something that I'm all for using um, public domain art, but there's you got to put a little bit of work into it to mm -hmm. really make it feel like it's one cohesive product. And Tristan, you did it. You oh, well, did thank it. Thank <laughs> you. I'm, I'm glad to hear it because I put a lot of work into making it feel cohesive and all hang together. Also, I really appreciate it too. You have a lot of references in the book. All right. What was the, was that always your intent? Because there's certain parts of this book, there's lots of history and you have lots of little footnotes in here and whatnot. Was that always the intent? Was that something that you really wanted to do? Um, the... The, the answer is yes, because one thing that I always strive to do in my RPG writing is I want to make sure that the GM has everything that she will need, right? I don't want to leave something where the GM's going to be like, well, but it says forecastle head, and at no point am I ever told what a forecastle head is yes. or why it matters. Like, no, you need to have everything. Um, but similarly, recognize that... I don't expect that the reader is going to memorize everything in this book, nor do I want the reader to memorize anything, everything in this book. That sounds terrible. That doesn't sound fun at all. Um, so what I, my, my thought process behind including all these references is you have everything you need for Chanty Hunters right there, but what if you do want to go farther? 
what if you, you know, see these these references? It's like, okay, I'm going to tell you exactly as much about tacking or jibing as I could conceivably see coming up in a session, but I'm not going to waste your your time by telling you more than something that might credibly come up. But you want to learn more about tacking and jibing? Cool. Here's three books. One of these three books will be at the level that you're looking for. Um, because, hey, I, I want to do you a solid, right? I don't want to leave you hanging. All right. So, uh, Tristan, is there... We're getting to the end here. Is there, this is your chance. This is your final chance. Oh, dear. Where is, what last pieces of information do you think people need to know about Shanty Hunters? Or do you really want to make sure you communicate to our listeners? What I really want to make sure that I communicate is you don't need to know anything about the sea or about sailing, right? This is not that book. This is not the like, oh, if you don't know, you know, the, the, the difference between, Jesus, I don't know, your, your keel and your, your mizzen tops, uh, don't come here. This isn't that game, right? Um, whether as a player or as a GM, um, I give you all the information you need. And if you just want to skim over all that stuff, cool, man, like no big deal. The heart of the game is the songs. And the fact that, um, that to this day, the fact that earlier in 2021, a bunch of teenagers on TikTok who legitimately don't know their keels from their mizzen tops, uh, got real into sea shanties for some reason. Um, like that should communicate to you that the songs speak at a level beyond technical expertise and that the technical expertise is not even remotely necessary. I don't want you to feel intimidated. It's all there if you want it because I think it's cool and I think you'll have fun with it, but it is it, no no knowledge is needed. I mean, that's that's all you need to know here and folks, you Tristan said the magic words, he said TikTok and you know Tom loves anytime he can do an interview and TikTok is brought up. So all right, oh dear. what have yes. I done? Yes, all right. So no, that's great. So uh, Tristan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really did enjoy this conversation. This is there's certain certain games. I need these games that are just different. They just they they just made me feel good. So I like them. I enjoy them. So it's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, a genuine delight to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. And before we wrap up then, can you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Absolutely. So the chief way that I want you to find me is to go to Kickstarter and to search for Shanty Hunters. Uh, but if may, may, maybe you want more than that, um, the the best way uh, to stay abreast of what's going on uh, is always at ModenSulfur.com. Uh, that is the home of the Molten Sulfur blog where I'm putting out all that cool content every single week. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Molten Sulfur. Uh, on Facebook, you can find me uh, by searching for Molten Sulfur. Um, or just Google Molten Sulfur RPG, Molten Sulfur Blog, Molten Sulfur Shanty Hunters. What's important is, if in this closing segment I say the phrase Molten Sulfur enough times, it will stick in your head and it will be very Googleable. A little messaging. I like it. All right, folks, uh, you heard it here. Uh, you can always follow me at BezcarTom on Twitter. Yes, that's Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter. Also, folks, do not forget, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs> See you next time. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby, 
and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.